it was an acting direction from Shakespeare to me. Hello, we are here with Sun Sounds Arizona in Flagstaff, Arizona, and welcome to episode 21. We can now buy a drink of Peter, <laughs> presented by the Flagstaff Shakespeare Festival. I'm Becky. And I'm Hannah. And I'm Dawn. Today we have actor Justice Burkett with us, who you most recently saw on stage as our Iago, but will be playing one of our Dromeos in the upcoming production of The Comedy of Errors. But before we jump over to our conversation with Justice, how's life, shoes? Wait, first off, Becky, oh my gosh, we have got to do like a 21st birthday for the podcast. <laughs> so I was already planning, I mean, it's coming up soon. I want to throw us a two-year-old birthday party in January. <laughs> please do that first of all we need to do like you know how like when babies are one and two they do like the cake smash and they have like some silly theme like terrible twos or like whatever (laughs) i want to do like a silly themed birthday for our second birthday but we should go get a drink for our 21st that's so fun wait wait everyone listening go get a drink in our honor listening to this go grab a drink yes. i don't care what time of day it is but you uh-huh. need, you need an alcoholic beverage to listen to episode 21 I love that. <laughs> thank you for nice. noticing that <laughs> don how are you i'm good yeah i mean i'm working a lot we bought a new house that's kind of our big new thing yeah. it is um money pit and <laughs> it needs so much work and um it's pretty stressful to do that on top of being a mom and an executive director and teaching trepees and mm-hmm. i just started back up my intro to theater class at coconino community college so i'm just feeling a little like woo. <laughs> at every end everything is yeah. a lot so yeah. that's that's me just painting a lot of walls and scraping a lot of gunk and trying to get some trying to get it ready to move in yeah how about you bex um i am mostly okay i'm going through some things that i'm not quite yet ready to be super duper public about um but yeah it's just it's been a rough couple weeks um but you know we're here we're we're on a high today so we're feeling it cryptid but but there you are (laughs) Um, Ariel's good. Um, yeah, I am in, yeah, pole and trapeze. And, um, so again, with being a little bit vague, but there've been times where I've needed to like mention to somebody that I've done that I do Ariel, but I say like, you know, I do pole and trapeze and I don't feel like I need to specify that it's, um, Mm. uh, recreational or like it's a hobby, (laughs) but everyone automatically latches onto like, Oh, so you're like a pole, pole dancer. And I'm like, no, thank you. I appreciate that compliment, but not where I'm going with that. (laughs) And, um, how's work? Work is good. Um, you know, Santa's elves, uh, (laughs) we, we work, uh, in the off season too. All year round. Gotta be ready for Christmas day. Gotta be ready. (laughs) Yeah. And how's, uh, how are you? How are you? I I sound like 
to go somewhere weird or whatever. Well, yeah. So like there was like lots of tea to spill. Um, Well, there is a little bit of tea to spill because when this episode comes out, I am allowed to announce. We weren't allowed to make any sort of like social media announcement until this week. Um, And I mentioned it last episode, but I can finally tell you what I'm up to. So Becky works for the Polar Express um, on the admin side of things. Company man, what's your actual position name? Yeah. um, So this is my second year as manager and okay. I started as a stage a local stage manager a couple years yeah ago. so so Becky works for the Polar Express and um I am so excited um I got cast in the New York location of the Polar Express so that's what I'm doing everybody because I've gotten um uh gotten a couple questions about what is the thing you booked um mm-hmm. so I booked Polar Express and I'll be um with friend of the podcast Cadence Lamb she and I will be <laughs> on a train, uh, spreading Christmas joy. (laughs) Yes. Um, but yeah, I'm good. Um, I leave in, uh, I leave in about a month. Um, but my sublet is like signed, sealed, delivered. My flight is booked. So now it's kind of like wrapping up things here. It's like really sad because I keep getting invited to do things and like be in shows and do aerial shows. And there is so much aerial going on this winter that I can't be in. There's like three Mm -hmm. Halloween shows and showcases. And of course, like I couldn't be in comedy of errors. (laughs) There's just so many things I had to say no to, which was like really sad. Of course, like leaving you two and not seeing Blake for a couple months and yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be rough uh to be away from home but I think it's also gonna be really nice to just get away and get to the city and um see some friends out on the east coast and see lots of shows and oh I just I always say like you always see the opportunities that like you can't take or right. miss quote unquote missing. You're missing. But like you don't know what lies ahead. And like, right. Cause yeah. you can see what you're missing, but you can't see what the future holds. Exactly. And I mean, honestly, I think what, what New York is really going to be helpful for me is like reminding myself why I do this. Like, you know, cause like we live up on top of a mountain where like, there's like not many options to see art except for art that we are producing. And that can be like really hard. Cause I feel like I'm in a vacuum a little bit. So I'm just really excited to go see what other people are doing, the art other people are making and just like get some fresh ideas. And hopefully when I come back in January, especially after STA, New York and STA, I feel like I'm just going to be so revived and like gung ho for Shakespeare and ready to produce 2023. But I'm going to miss you guys. And we're going to miss you. Yeah. Come well, visit me. Miss you a lot. <laughs> Come visit me. Bring Blake. Take, it, take him to New York. <laughs> New York, baby. New York, baby. Awesome. Well, everybody, um, we already recorded with the lovely Justice. So we are going to jump on over to our conversation with him. Justice. Hello, Justice. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. How are all of you? (laughs) (laughs) We are good. Dawn's munching on a plum, nectarine, plum. (laughs) Um, <laughs> silly girl, <laughs> you just brought a plum to recording. Silly. Hey, I'm on mute. <laughs> I know. I was like, I was like shoveling food in my face uh, before this. This was untamed. Yes, <laughs> we're fully untamed. <laughs> untamed plums. 
Um, Justin. Oh, Becky was really into that. I mean, it wouldn't make any sense, but because untamed we plums, untamed plums, or like that's, <laughs> the plums are the name of a gaggle of listeners. I don't know. <laughs> the plums are plums. <laughs> Anywho, Justice, tell the internet world about yourself. Who are you? How do we know you? What are you up to? Yeah, so my name's Justice Burkett. I am an actor in Arizona, uh, right now currently based in Flagstaff, where y'all are. Um, but I have uh, been doing theater um, in and around the desert Southwest for the majority of my life. And uh, I'm a graduate of Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff, got my bachelor's in theater performance there. Um, I've done stuff with Southwest Shakespeare Festival down in Mesa. Um, I've done stuff with Lark Productions in Prescott, uh, which is a site-specific theater company. Um, done some stuff with Flagshakes, which is how I got to know <laughs> you three. <laughs> Hannah and I uh, have been in a show together. Becky and I have been in a show together. Um, and of course, I've interacted with Don quite a bit um, during my time here as well. But yeah, uh, I also spent some time in Utah. Um, I worked uh, in the uh, electrics department um, doing some administrative work for the Utah Shakespeare Festival. So got some exposure to that um, kind of big name regional theater festival as well. Mm -hmm. Other background stuff about me. Um, I'm born and raised in uh, Prescott, Arizona. Um, so a Northern Arizona uh, local, lifelong, pretty much. <laughs> and then on the side, I have a day job and I power yeah. lift and have a <laughs> have a whole variety of other interests, two dogs and a cat and uh, a lovely wife who uh, I own this uh, home with. And, oh, yeah, so, it's so pretty. Um, yeah, so outside of theater, uh, my, uh, my life is pretty uh, calm and quiet and normal, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Thank you. Would you tell everyone a little bit about, I think it's fascinating. Um, you had a background that, I mean, I'm really jealous of, of having, you know, theater practitioners as parents. Um, can you tell us a little bit about them, what they're up to, and also just growing up with theater parents? That sounds like a blast. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, so my mom and dad, um, Carla and Lane Burkett, uh, shout out <laughs> to uh, to my parents. Um, they uh, are both both theater people. Um, my mom is a full time theater professional in that uh, her uh, job for the last twenty some odd maybe. 30 years, um, has been teaching theater um, in schools in the Prescott area and uh, has been doing that her whole professional life. She also has a bachelor's degree in theater uh, like I do. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and my dad is kind of a part-time theater professional. Um, he is more on the technical side. Mm. Um, so, But he also acts as well. He was a uh, um, Benedict in uh, Lark Productions, uh, Much Ado About Nothing that went up this past summer, um, which by the way, the aforementioned Lark Productions, <laughs> uh, that's my parents' theater company. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they do they they do have a theater company um, that's run by the two of them. My mom is the artistic director. Uh, my dad is the um, managing director. Mm -hmm. um, so they both wear a lot of hats. Yes, <laughs> um, so many hats. Sounds familiar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, with any small theater company, that's really how it is. Nobody yes. just has one job. Every Everybody right. has at least like three or four jobs. Totally. <laughs> so I have to know, is that how they met? Did they meet through theater? Were they Beatrice and Benedict in a high school production? Oh, I really hope so. That? So they actually, yeah. So the, the answer is yes, they did meet through theater. Um, they were attending uh, <laughs> Northwestern uh, College in 
um, Iowa, not the famous Northwestern oh. University. Um, I was going to say. But, yeah, uh, but Northwestern College in, in Iowa. Um, and uh, they met in the theater department there. Yeah. yeah, so they, they went to college together and um, got married pretty much right out of college. Um, and they relocated to uh, to Arizona pretty much right after they got married um, and uh, have been d- involved in the theater community in Prescott really ever since then. So yeah. since before I was born, um, <laughs> since before my older brother was even born, like uh, mm. they, they go way back there. When Audrey and I came to see the production of the 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 aforementioned production of Much Ado. So your parents were playing Beatrice and Benedict. Um, And it was like, me and Audrey just were losing our minds. We were like, this is actual goals. Like, this is such a dream. What was it like performing with your parents? And did one of them direct it as well? Like, what is it? Have you been directed by a parent? Or yeah, what are like those dynamics like? Yeah, so I've been directed by both of my parents um, in shows with Lark Productions. So um, my mom, as the artistic director, also directs the majority of the shows that uh, Lark produces. Um, That Much Ado uh, this past summer was actually directed by um, another uh, frequent collaborator of their company, Nathaniel Montgomery. Um, So that was Nathaniel's show. Um, And uh, um, my mom and dad were just actors in it, Um, you know, in addition to all of their normal hats. Like my mom (laughs) still costumed it and all that stuff but that being said i have been directed by both of them in in shows so my dad direct has directed one show with lark um he directed the Macbeth that we um put on i want to say that it was 2018 uh that we did Macbeth. maybe it was 2017 we did that at arcasanti um which if you're not familiar with arcasanti um it's an architectural experiment kind of out in the middle of the desert um yes. this architect <laughs> uh paolo Soleri, um he had the idea of um ca- kind of creating like a utopian society that um where art and uh and life you know uh the environment kind of coexisted in a single space uh, you know there's been some controversy about Paolo Soleri, the man, um, but his ideas kind of live on at Arcasanti and they like to, uh, to bring in artists to um, create work in the space because that's what it was originally intended for. Um, so we did Macbeth there uh, and my dad directed, I played Malcolm in that production. Um, and actually my older brother played uh, Macduff. That Malcolm and Macduff scene um, was very fun for me to play because I was playing uh, opposite my, my older brother in that scene and my dad was directing. So mm. it was very... Um, it, it's, I want to say it comes with its own unique benefits and challenges working with family, um, Mm. because they're, they're people who know you so well and have so much prior context on who you are as a person, how you operate. And especially because we're a big theater family, we did a lot of theater together growing up, um, previous to Lark Productions, my, uh, whole family was involved with the Arizona Shakespeare Festival. And we did a bunch of summer rep shows with them, uh, when I was growing up. So not only do my family have a lot of context on me as a person. They also have a lot of context on me as an artist and as an actor um, and vice versa, right? So on the one hand, it's beneficial because there's a lot of shorthand um, and it's not as uh, challenging as it sometimes is to communicate uh, artistically with a director who you've just met for the first time. Or, you know, uh, fellow actors who you maybe don't have a lot of experience interacting with outside of like one specific show. Um, So sometimes it's it's easier because, uh, you know, they'll be able to give you a pointer or a piece of direction or something um, that 
immediately clicks because they know you so well. Um, that being said, sometimes it can be challenging <laughs> working yeah. with family um, because if you have a disagreement about something production related, um, you have to make sure um, that when you communicate that, you communicate it in a way where they understand uh, that it's not like deeper than that. Like it's, yeah. it's strictly production related. <laughs> not um, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, which is, I mean, I guess not too different from doing theater with your friends and, yeah. and the longer you're, uh, at a specific company and the more you encounter like frequent collaborators, you really mm -hmm. start to build those relationships with them as well. It's just, I kind of, uh, I, I was kind of born into, into that specific <laughs> group of artistic collaborators. I was um, going to say it's similar. Like, I mean, me, Don and Becky, especially specifically me and Don, I mean, how many shows have we done? I mean, this is like, we're coming up on like five or six years of friendship. So she feels like a sister in a lot of ways. So it is true. You have to like find the balance of work, play, all those things and like be able to like seamlessly move through the conflicts and the good times too yeah that's yeah it's tough and i've i've also been directed by my mom a bunch of times uh way way more because she's directed like i said the majority of the shows with lark um so she's probably the director that i've worked with not probably she's definitely the director that i've worked with the most in my career when i was uh when i was in high school and and uh, my early years in college, um, I used to point to her as an acting coach as well, basically be like, well, you know, I never, I never paid her a cent, but she taught me everything <laughs> that I know yes. about acting. She's always great to work with. She's got a lot of experience. Um, and she's also like a very, um, like empathetic and actor forward director, um, which is always something that I appreciate. She, she likes to give her actors a lot of room to play. Yay, mamas. Yeah. <laughs> right, I'm, I'm listening and I'm just like, I hope Blake yeah. talks about me this way one day. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, I wonder if Blake becomes an actor. Just, I mean, we literally made the joke on the last episode of the whole accountant <laughs> joke, but I really hope that he's an actor and not an accountant, but I guess we'll have to see. Yeah. I just, he's only nine months old. So I guess I have no way to tell him I just have a feeling he won't be <laughs> yeah I have a feeling too I mean if there's if there's anything that I can attest to though it's that if you're born into a family of theater artists um whether you want to or not I feel like you end up at least partially existing in that world right yes. um because because uh when I went to college I like actively was like okay I'm done doing the theater thing I did it for for years and years because like it was what my parents were doing and now I'm like gonna do my own thing and when I went to NAU for undergrad my first major was journalism uh did it for a semester and found out that I was really bad at it because I don't like to research <laughs> Um, got my, got my first D of my entire life in my intro to journalism. Oh no. Yeah. And I, and I was like, well, okay, maybe this isn't for me. So yeah. I was like, and I gave it a summer's worth of thought. And I was like, I guess it's time to go back to the theater thing. Cause I know yeah. I'm good at that. <laughs> um, so who knows, maybe Blake, uh, will end up like me and feel like he doesn't necessarily have a, a choice. A in choice the in the matter. <laughs> guys to separate, but, uh, fate takes over. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for that amazing background. I loved seeing that Lark production. I'm hoping to see many, many more. But pivoting on over to Flag Shanks, tell everybody, you know, what you've done with us. And then we'll sort of get into the topic of discussion, which is going to be about comedy of errors today. Yeah. So um, my first main stage role with Flag Shakes 
um, was last December, I was in Christmas Carol um, and I played Jacob Marley and the Ghost of Christmas Present. Um, so I did that um, and that was a super fun time. Uh, great main stage introduction to Flag Shakes and also like very familiar for me. Like I did that main stage show and I was like, oh, like this, this place kind of already feels like home to me because I've worked with enough like small companies um, that the, the vibe was something that I kind of settled into immediately. <laughs> um, yeah. I was like, these are my people. This is my thing. I get it. From there, I did summer rep with y'all um, and played Iago in your Othello uh, this past summer um, and also uh, played the Butler Lane in uh, <laughs> the the absolutely wild, crazy ass production of Importance of Being <laughs> Earnest um, that James Cougar Canfield directed. Um, uh, and, and both of those were super fun experiences. Yeah. And aside from that, I've done uh, window shakes. Uh, yeah, little scenes from Shakespeare. Um, got to work with uh, with Trey Peace uh, doing the Brutus Cassius scene, um, which just to just to go on a sidebar for a second, that yes, Brutus Cassius sidebar. scene. Yeah, that Brutus Cassius scene. So it's um, I think Act Four, Scene Three. I want to say of Julius Caesar, um, Brutus and Cassius in the tent having their argument. Um, I've done that scene twice with flag shakes and several mm -hmm. times. Uh, elsewhere um and that is my favorite one of my favorite scenes in shakespeare maybe my favorite mm -hmm. scene in shakespeare um because i think that it is so rare in modern uh media that you get um a heart to heart that is full of uh as much passion and emotion um and uh and feeling between two men um so that's something that i really gravitate toward you know i'm i'm like a cisgender heterosexual white man um so uh there's a lot of representation for me in media that's never something that i've um had to uh to fight for search for um, exactly exactly um but that being said um there is a lack of uh representation for men um in more like raw and emotional um, yeah. moments and, and allowing themselves to really explore their feelings um and that's one of the things that i think shakespeare over his entire canon does really well um he's a great uh explorer uh, and adventurer in the world of human emotion um yes. and i think that that scene uh really speaks to me specifically um and my experience as um as a man so um so i just wanted to gush about that but i, I had a yeah. chance to do that to do that scene a couple times um once uh during window shakes and then again recently at the coconino county fair so that pretty much sums up my flag shakes experience. <laughs> okay so you are playing one of the dromeos although i forget which dromeo which dromeo are you Syracuse. Okay, Dromeo yeah. of Syracuse. Um, tell us about the process so far. Obviously, it's only been like barely a week. This show runs October 7th through the 16th at the Coconino Center for the Arts. Um, and we will continue to plug that. But um, yeah, how's it going? It's going well so far. It has been a great first week of rehearsal. Our, our director uh, sadly hasn't been with us in person because she had a, a family emergency, but we've had the uh, amazing luxury of working with uh, our text coach, uh, Christine, um, and uh, she has been doing amazing work with the cast. It's uh, been really, really fun to dive in deep on the text really early into the rehearsal process. Mm -hmm. um, I am a huge table work and text work nut. I love diving in deep on the text and getting as much meaning out of it as I can. Um, and working with Christine has been right up my alley. It's it's so awesome. And um, the work the that... 
Yeah, and the, it's so cool to be working with someone who works at, at Shakespeare's Globe. Um, <laughs> with text work, it's like, it's a dream come true. So um, so that's been great. Um, we're also doing uh, a Ren run as part yeah. of our rehearsal process, which this is my first Ren run. Um, for okay. Yeah, I was going to say for listeners who might not know what a Ren run is. Um, it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> anyone, anyone who doesn't know what it is. A Ren run is basically when the cast, the actors, um, get together and essentially when really early in the rehearsal process, um, still with like scripts in hand, right? Um, they get together and uh, block the play themselves, stage the play themselves, um, and come up with their own kind of interpretation of the action in the scenes. Um, so they get up on their feet and do it without the eye of a director. It's been a really interesting process. Um, mm-hmm. And it's been really cool and fun to work in that collaborative way um, prior to getting a director's input because it's allowing us to kind of um, workshop some stuff. It's a comedy. So obviously we're workshopping a bunch of like bits and physical, physical comedy, physical business. Um, And uh, it's going to be going to be cool and to see what Catherine's reaction to that is and which bit she wants to keep uh, what she wants to workshop or scrap. Um, And it's, it's my first time ever, ever doing it uh, this way. Um, And it's, it's been really uh, kind of enlightening and fun so far um and as someone who has some interest in uh potentially directing some shows in the future dipping my toe into that arena as well uh might be a tool that i leverage um so i'm keeping it in the back of my mind yeah i've never done a run run but it is a fun idea because it's not just like a fully collaborative process because for me at least that gets a little bit scary and i have friends who run like fully collaborative companies that sometimes they're like oh i had such a bad day today everyone was yelling on top of each other and no one could decide on anything so it's like it's a fine line like having a director I think is very, very important, but the collaborative aspects are so fun. So I think with the Ren Run, it's great because you get like these fun instincts and the collaborative nature, but then you still have a person that's in charge of the ship to like steer the ship if it's going in a wrong direction. But you also have like those fun moments that might be discovered during the Ren Run. So I think it's a really cool idea. At the ASC, they do a whole Ren season. And you get four weeks to rehearse the play, or four days, sorry, to rehearse the play. You come off book and whatever happens on stage, it happens. Like your Ren run is actually completely unrehearsed. It's just everyone entering and exiting and saying their lines. And it's amazing what you can discover about the text or about what's, you know, what's going on. Like obviously played a lot of bit parts in those because I was still in grad school and I, I can remember running on stage at one point and I have, you know, all you get is your cue script. So you have the three words before your line, your line, and then the next three words before your next line oh and then your line. And it's like, you don't know who you're talking to because you don't have the title. So I can remember coming in as a servant into one scene in King Lear and being like, my Lord, who's my Lord? looking around the stage like, not- <laughs> which one of which you, one of you is my Lord? Yeah. He was my Lord. Yeah. I know I'm not my Lord. <laughs> yeah. But it also keeps you really engaged in what's going on because you have no idea who's about to say the three words that come before your line. So you're right. like, you're listening to everything. Like at some point, someone's going to say those three words and then yes. I have to respond. And it's amazing the energy that that can yeah. create. And yeah. Hannah's right. You have to have a really great group of actors um, who collaborate well together. And you can't have any divas and you can't have any 
anyone who's, um, you know, precious about their own mm -hmm. character or married to their own vision, everyone has to be there for the storytelling experience, yeah. but it can be really amazing. And I think what Catherine's doing with you guys is like Hannah said, a, a version of that where it really helps you guys, you know, grow and discover, but maybe isn't quite as terrifying as an actual yes. run, run mm -hmm. um, but uh, gives you some of the like pieces of that energy and excitement and like, getting to feel like you're really part of it i mean i will point out shakespeare never had a director so yeah, yeah, yeah. you know it's no, like it's possible it's how they sure. did it back yeah. then but also it was a very different i mean it was a, clearly it was a very different business and it was more of a business and i think that's an interesting point too when you go into some of these like original practices is to think mm -hmm. like it doesn't all translate obviously to the way that we do nonprofit arts now no. <laughs> but yeah. there can be a lot of really cool and useful tools justice i'm curious like from the text work is there anything that stood out where you were like whoa i never thought of that line that way or that really revealed a lot about my character and i thought it was just like a silly small line or was there anything that you were surprised by during text work the the comedies overall um are uh not my main area of shakespeare mm. obsession i'm kind of a tragedy hound um uh which you know, uh yeah and, and i was gonna say like becky hannah that probably doesn't come as any surprise you you guys know no. me um absolutely but, uh, not <laughs> yeah when you guys um, see the photo of justice i'm gonna request a silly photo for the instagram and it'll probably be like you in one of your black t-shirts all of your tattoos like you're, yeah. you love all of your scary podcasts <laughs> I, yeah i'm a, uh just just for for context uh for for anybody listening um, the reason that Shakespeare tragedy seems so uh, directly up my alley is my other interests are uh, like horror movies, uh, true crime podcasts, and heavy metal music. Um, so, <laughs> um, and lifting heavy things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and powerlifting. Um, so it all kind of it all kind of goes into one big macabre package yes. um despite the fact that i think i'm a, a pretty a positive person you really really life. are it is um, so funny <laughs> uh it's just what i like i just like the vibes um but anyway so i didn't have a ton of prior experience with comedy of errors um but that being said the stuff in the text that i really latched onto, which is there is so much in comedy of errors about superstition and uh kind of religious panic um and i was getting shades of like uh satanic panic from the 80s but also like more presciently uh kind of like QAnon stuff <laughs> right mm -hmm. um where i was like people like are really jumping on this idea that like the devil is out to get them and he's behind every single bad thing that is happening in this play dromeo of syracuse is 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 part of that right there's the scene with the with the courtesan um, where Antipolis of Syracuse and Dromeo of Syracuse encounter, uh, you know, a sex worker um, and immediately react as if she's a demon trying to ruin their lives. In that, in that scene, I was kind of picking up on like, okay, so like basically before she even says anything, these two guys are like, this woman is the devil. Um, and, and I was looking at the rest of the play uh, as well. And there's just so many people reacting that way, uh, you know, largely to women in the play. So that was one thing that I picked up on was kind of the, the theme of, of kind of paranoia and, and superstitious panic. Then another thing um, that I kind of latched onto um, was it was very interesting to me how one Antipholus, the Antipholus of Ephesus, um, kind of treats his Dromeo uh, markedly worse. 
than the other Antipolis, Antipolis of Syracuse. And we were talking about why that might be um, myself and Evan, the actor who plays uh, Antipolis of Syracuse, um, were, were discussing that. We decided that one of the reasons is because these, the, the Syracusians are the pair who is aware that they have long lost twins. The other set of twins don't know right? Um, but these guys do. And so they grew up knowing that they lost a brother, right? And as a result, because they had that knowledge and kind of had that missing piece inside of them, um, that brought them kind of closer together emotionally than the other Antipholus and uh, Andromeo, um, who have more of a conventional servant-master relationship um, that we see in a lot of Shakespeare's plays. So uh, Evan and I were talking about it, and we were like, we think that these guys um, maybe have the surface-level relationship that they let society see, which is servant and master, because that's what's correct and proper. But when it's just the two of them, uh, there may be a little bit more like brothers, right? Um, and even though they're the same age, uh, canonically, like in the text, um, we sort of decided that due to his station, Antipholus kind of assumes the role of older brother, while Dromeo of Syracuse maybe is kind of the, the younger brother who um, is a little bit more uh, mischievous and ill-behaved. How cute. I love that. Um, I would love to talk more about like comedy versus drama. We, you kind of touched on it. But like, even when we were taking promo photos, I was like, all right, Justice, let's be silly. And it was like, wait a minute, thinking about it, you've like never played a silly role for us. Um, so how has that been? How has like the comedy been? Yeah, it, it's been great. I will say I've done more tragedy and I also feel more confident in that realm. <laughs> um, as, a, as an actor, I think I gravitate um, a little bit more serious. Um, I tend to play, I, I tend to get cast as villains a lot. I, I think, um, you know, not to, not to toot my own horn, but I think I play villains pretty well. I think it comes sort of naturally to me um, because again, uh, I think that just has to do with my, uh, my more macabre <laughs> interests. Not that you're um, a villain. You're like no, the no, nicest no, yeah. human being on the planet. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, but no, I think I just can get into the villain headspace pretty easily because um, it's something that I find, I find human behavior pretty interesting. Um, which is one of the reasons that I like true crime. Um, and uh, I think that I, I get a lot of enjoyment as an actor um, out of digging into someone's psyche and being like, what causes this person to behave this way? And I feel like there's a lot more meat there with villains a lot of the time. Um, because with uh, with heroes and lovers and stuff like that in Shakespeare, it, their motivations are usually pretty clear um, and usually informed by the text, right? What does Romeo want? Juliet, right? It's pretty obvious. With some villains, and um, you know, I just played Iago. With Iago, especially, um, his his motivations are not clear in the text. He says that he has a lot of reasons for doing the things that he does, um, but some of those reasons uh, change throughout the play. Sometimes he says one thing, and sometimes he says another. And when he's talking to someone versus when he's talking to the audience, he says different things. So he's got a lot of ulterior motives. There's a lot of layers to what he 
wants and what is behind his actions. Um, and I think that's the case with a lot of villains, um, which is why I kind of I kind of go that direction. So that being said, I've I've done comedy Shakespeare comedies before. Um, I played Touchstone with Lark in uh, As You Like It, which is a wild role. Uh, one of one of Shakespeare's <laughs> one of Shakespeare's wackiest clowns, Touchstone, yes. yeah. and that was a lot of fun. I also played Doctor Caius in Mary Wines <laughs> of Windsor, um, the outrageous French stereotype. That was yes. a lot of fun. The thing that I always try and remind myself when I get cast in a comedy, especially as like a clown in a comedy like Dromeo is, is that that level of complexity that I just talked about with the villains doesn't necessarily not exist right. with comedic characters. You just kind of have to approach it from a different angle, right? Um, so as much as I like to dive into the psyche and be like, what, is, what makes this person tick? Um, and you can definitely do that with comedic characters and, and clowns even. I feel like a bigger question um, for me, especially with somebody like Dromeo, who basically is just serving Antipolis for the entire play, is what does this person, what does this person want? Like, what is he in this play for? <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. And there's an obvious motivation for Dromeo of finding his brother. Right. right. Um, but I also think he displays a lot of loyalty toward Antipolis. So it's like he probably likes this guy and enjoys working with him, you know, wants to um, to see him succeed and see him happy as well. So there's uh, it's it's kind of fun to take a reverse approach. And instead of like, how does the psychology inform the behavior? It's like, okay, here's this outrageous behavior. How can I rationalize this as an actor and, <laughs> and make it come from a place that feels real? Real, um, yeah. yeah. Which I think is the hard hard part for me with comedy is usually I want to take the opposite approach. I want to start in the head, um, mm. and then and then work toward the action. And I think in comedy sometimes you have to do the reverse. I'm opposite yeah. of you. I very much prefer comedy. And when I played Desdemona, I was like, okay, <sighs> like, but it was fun. So I mean, sometimes it's nice to go against type, go against what you normally do. It can be a nice breath of fresh air work some other acting muscles. Yeah. Um, yeah. Justice, you mentioned like you usually play villains and something that you were talking about kind of um, just reminded me that like generally people don't see themselves as the villain, mm -hmm. right? So like you also kind of have to like, uh, the general you, not you specifically, but like figure out like, okay, well like this villain that I'm playing doesn't necessarily think that they're the villain. Like they're the villain in this story, but like what are the like the act, like what are the positive reframes that they have to think that like, no, what I'm doing is justified and right and okay, but obviously, or well, maybe not obviously for some, but, but yeah, like, but it's not always, people just don't think that they're the villain in their own story, so. And that's one of the things that I wanted to, to really avoid um, playing Iago in the summer rep is, is being, I kept saying, I don't want this guy to be a cartoon. Right. Mm -hmm. um, because I feel like I, I, I feel like a lot of the time when Shakespeare villains are done poorly, um, they come across as like a Disney villain. Yeah. You like know? the twisting of the mustache sort of Iago. Yeah. Yeah. Like the Disney villain singing a big uh, bombastic villain song mm -hmm. saying, yep. I'm bad. Look at how bad I am. Right? Look at how bad um, I am. I love being bad. Isn't bad being, I'm isn't so being cool. bad. Great. Yeah. yeah. I think the one and only villain that you can play that way in Shakespeare's canon is Aaron the Moor because he he basically says that Aaron the yes, Moor that's the, true. the kind of the I would I would almost call him the secondary or maybe tertiary villain of uh, of Titus Andronicus because there's also yeah. uh, Tamara and Saturninus who Saturninus. are both also huge scumbags. <laughs> Saturninus is such an ass. Um, but yeah, anyway. there's no clear villain in that play. No. Yeah. 
Titus is a terrible person. Lucius is a terrible person. Like, there's no good person. <laughs> the only good person I think is you can make an argument for Marcus. I think Marcus Andronicus is maybe yeah. maybe the decent human being in that show. Um, other than I would other like to argue for Lavinia. Quintus. I played Quintus, and all Quintus did was fall into a hole. There was <laughs> nothing that Quintus did wrong. He just <laughs> fell into a hole. So. <laughs> We can't blame him for anything that transpired in that play. <laughs> so actually, Quintus is the hero of the story. I'd like to say. Okay. Should, there should be a uh, there should be a um, a fool esque uh, novel that tells the story. The fool of fool Quintus. tells the story of, of yeah. Lear from the fool's perspective. Uh, there should be a, a Titus Andronicus from Quintus's perspective. Wait, what's the other brother that falls in with Quintus? Is it Martius? Yeah, I mean, they're all named Is something. Yeah. How do we always end up on Titus? I don't know how that I happens. mean, because it is the pinnacle of Shakespeare's work. Yeah. <laughs> it is both the worst and best and funniest and saddest thing he ever wrote. I mean, yeah. it's a wild play. Um, it is. My, he nailed it. When, when we did that with, uh, with the Arizona Shakespeare Festival way back in the day, I was like a very, very young actor. I was just ensemble in that show. Um, I was a literal child who brought Titus his severed hand on a platter. Oh, cute. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> but when we did that show back then, uh, somebody in the cast made the observation that show um, before the seven stages of grief were like documented and established that that show um, depicts Titus going through each of them in order, mm. um, which yeah. is such a, that goes back to what I was saying about Shakespeare being such a um, such a master of uh, an, of understanding human emotion, right? Um, it's mm. like he intuitively knew this thing that now is like part of psychology, like these seven stages <laughs> of grief. Well, I just want to go back and touch upon the um, Ren runs again. And I guess, well, Don, specifically, I have a question for you at ASC. Um, so there's this style of acting called Demidov, which sounds pretty similar, where it's like the actor just follows their impulse um, for performances. And maybe the blocking is like this one night and the blocking is different another night because the actor is feeling something different. But my qualm with that, I guess, and this didn't exist when I think that style of acting and I don't know what they were doing in Shakespeare but Tom, maybe you know is things like intimacy and fight choreography where you don't necessarily want those to be on just one yeah <laughs> so I'm curious what um what you did for that we discussed all of that ahead of time I mean okay. I, we, I had one kiss in a show like that and it didn't happen until the actor who kissed me and I had had a discussion about it. I, I've, I've, I've actually had that line crossed where an actress in, when I was in Titus and I played uh, Lavinia, the actress playing Tamara one night during the show licked my face. Ugh. Like it was super creepy and really scary and it was not choreographed. And she was so in the moment that she just kind of did it retrospectively I'm like oh god I can't believe that happened <laughs> like yeah. you know I would pray that that doesn't happen on stage anymore it, at the time I was kind of like oh okay but there, uh, there were fights were definitely choreographed um those kinds of things were very carefully done we you know on the other end of it like there was a lot of improvisation but the scene that I was in, we did a play called The Beggar, The Blind Beggar of Alexandria, which is like a Renaissance Shakespeare adjacent play. Mm -hmm. And in the scene, the guy who played the blind beggar kills the guy who I'm engaged to. 
and um, he killed him with this enormous eight-foot spear, uh, <laughs> and he would stab him, and every night this whole thing would get more and more and more elaborate. Like, And Greg would, like, he, his death would get longer, it would get louder, it would get more exaggerated. <laughs> it was just, like, the whole thing just kept growing and growing. Until one night when John bent me over to kiss me, I just see behind John, <laughs> Craig Phelps just grabbed this eight foot spear that's still like, you know, in his armpit, like sticking out of his chest. And he just goes, <gasps> and starts climbing <laughs> back up it. <laughs> so John had to go re-kill him. And I, I laughed so hard and it was a performance and I, I laughed so hard. And I got off stage and I asked John Harrell, um, I just asked him, I said, like, how, how do you not break character? And he looked at me and he was like, I've never been in character. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, this is the biggest revelation I've ever had yes. as an actress. Because I suddenly realized you limit yourself to the reaction you can have on stage. If you decide that this is how your character would behave or that is how your character would behave. And so, um, you know, my character was kind of like a snarky like Prissy, like she was Aspasia, the princess of Egypt, like someone who never existed. And I just thought, oh, she totally would have laughed. She would have thought it was yeah. hysterical. Um, she just would have, like it would just would have been a different laugh than the one I used. So like I had such a revelation in that moment that informed all the rest of the acting I've ever done, which is like, there is no such thing for me as in character. Yeah. Um, it's just me in the circumstance. Like this right. is me, but this is the situation I'm in. Right. Um, so I thought that was really powerful and profound, but yeah, you do have to be careful um, because intimacy and, chore and combat choreography obviously aren't things you should screw with. Yeah. Like they need yeah. to be what they are. And if someone wants to make a change, there has to be a discussion. But yeah. outside of that, there's a lot of room for improvisation. So, yeah. and just just like a peek behind the curtain for the the run run that we're working on for for comedy of errors as well. There is uh, anyone who's familiar with comedy of errors will know that there's lots of violence in that show. Um, and for the purposes of the run run uh, right now, because we don't have our director with us and we want to be conscientious of all the actors' safety and, and comfort, we're just marking those things with non physical, like non uh, non violent actions, right? Because that's that's a really good point. It's like as much as as much as you want to be able yeah. to free to be free to improvise and play um it's always super super important to uh respect other actors i've never done a run run to performance um and after hearing you describe uh some of it i don't know if i would want to uh because i'm not i'm not a strong improviser i like am very heavily text reliant yeah <laughs> um, I, I hate improv justice but i would do a run run again in a heartbeat if someone asked me it's just so um you know, like there's already so much like adrenaline and stuff that comes along with acting, but there's nothing like the adrenaline rush of a run run. I will say after us talking about it, I'm 50, 50. I'm like, I really want to do it, but it also sounds terrifying. Yeah. It sounds yeah. really scary, but fun. Yeah. Scary, but fun. Yeah. It, and it is, it's scary, but fun. So I find sometimes when I'm memoriz memorizing, I might put like the last line of whatever uh, before my line. But then I'm like, wow, I'm really struggling to memorize this line. And then it's because I realize, oh, because like my what I'm responding to is earlier on in the line that I don't mm -hmm. have written down. So I'm like, where does this come from? So like only having those three words before that gives me anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> but it, like, uh, major but it also because uh, when I was when I was uh, doing stuff with Southwest Shakespeare Festival, um, we did a similar thing where we had um, 
we we were doing uh an educational tour in schools oh you um, did scrolls called, didn't you yeah yeah called this is how we yeah. scroll mm-hmm. um and actually <laughs> uh the one of the one of the old education directors for for southwest shakes uh brianna brianna conrad is the other dromeo in yes, our comic series. Um, but yeah, so, so we had scripts that were like that, where it was just like the end of the queue line mm-hmm. before, and then your line. And I think, um, uh, Becky, it was scary, but I also think it was weirdly really beneficial, um, to the scenes because, uh, it forces you to listen to the other actor. Yeah. You cannot be in your own head. Um, and sometimes doing like a regular production, um, I'll find myself thinking about, you know, my next line more than what mm. the other person's saying. Yeah. And you, you physically can't do that when you're not off book and you have a script of that nature that only has like a little bit of the, the right. line before yours, because it, in order for you to know how to react to what they're saying, you really have to be listening. Um, so it was like a really useful exercise for me as an actor because I was like oh this is like making me get more engaged in these scenes than I probably would be otherwise I I can't drift off or I'm not going to have context for what I'm saying next (laughs) another amazing thing I learned through run runs was like because this is the way Shakespeare's cue scripts were written so we know these are the kinds of cue scripts he was using in the theater Mm -hmm. and sometimes you learn like what he wanted an actor to do and I can't remember what it the exact exactly what it was but I know it was in Henry VI part one Um, and I came in and in my cue script I had like the three words that I responded to and they were said I kid you not four times before my line like those three words kept being said by other people and so then I would try to speak and then someone else would keep talking or someone else would respond to them and it was like But in the moment, again, because I played all these little piddly characters, in the moment, I was like, y'all, I have a message. Like, I have shit to say. And all of you in the court of France just keep talking over me. (laughs) Shut up for a second. Like, the English are right here. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I remember learning that in the run run and then being like, oh, that's how I'm going to play it every night. Every night I'm going to be like, hey. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but I clearly, I couldn't just interject because I was lower status than everybody else. So it was fascinating because I was like, oh, Shakespeare knew that. And and when it happened, like it it was an acting direction from Shakespeare to me, which is like goosebumpy and cool, you know, it's like, whoa. That actually goes back to something we were saying earlier, where it's like in Shakespeare's day, there was no director. The text was the director, right? Like it's like so much, so much of the action, the emotion, the intention in Shakespeare's works is informed directly by the text, even without stage directions, right? Like, I think that's like a perfect example of that. It's like so much of how the play should be staged exists in just what the characters say to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, in a, way, in a way, Shakespeare was the director, right? Just yeah. by, by penning the plays himself. Right. Yeah, when like- he wanted you to get on your knees... Yeah. He said, here yeah. on my knees, I say. Yeah. Or or the next person after you said, you know, kneel not, right? Yeah. And it's like, it tells you exactly what that moment should look like. We um, have just been going. We've been going. We're kind of going long. Basically, guys, come see Justice as Dromeo. He's going to be great. Um, it's Wild West themed. So come on. Can't beat that. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a blast. Is there... Anything we want to, any last minute thoughts from anybody to sort of wrap up um, comedy of errors? I will say like regarding the Wild West thing, there, there has to be some kind of 
unconscious link between Wild West settings and Shakespeare comedies mm. because this is the fourth Wild West themed Shakespeare comedy that I will have appeared in. Um, maybe that's just because I'm I'm in Arizona doing Shakespeare. True, true, true. Um, and I, I think, think there's kinda, something there. Yeah. yeah. I think it kind of yeah. does uh, work with the vibe of Shakespeare's comedies because so much of his comedies are about, um, you know, uh, mistaken identity and like status. Right. Status is a big player in his comedies, servants versus masters. So it's hard to fully dueling. modernize. Yeah, yeah, dueling is yeah. another one. Um, violence that doesn't actually end up being very violent, right? Um, and, and it kind of yes, all fits yes, into yes. that like spaghetti Western aesthetic i've actually but, seen a wild west comedy of errors so it's not far off despite this being a funny silly comedy she does want it to feel like it has real stakes um mm -hmm. and that people are really at risk people are really in danger um and people really are uh yearning and fighting for what they want um, and I think that uh, part of the inherent um, kind of danger and adventure that is present in the setting of like the uh, Wild West um, will kind of feed into that as well. I can't wait to see it. Um, again, it is running October 7th through 16th at the Coconino Center for the Arts. We are changing things a little bit. Usually we do Thursdays through Sundays, but we are doing Fridays through Sundays for this show. Flagshakes.org, yeah. How can people find you, Justice? Um, do you have Instagram or are you working on other projects that people can go watch and look at and see? Um, so no other projects currently for me, but uh, you know, if people want to see uh, what's up with me, at Justice Burkett on Instagram. Uh, if I'm in a show, I'll post about it there. And then also, I would encourage you to follow my frequent artistic collaborators, uh, Flagshakes being Yay. one of them. Um, <laughs> but also, if you uh, want to look up Lark Productions, they don't really have much of a social media presence, um, but they do have a website. But yeah, my, my uh, main plug would just be to follow the companies that I work with. Um, and then also just to support the work of these people that I work with and care about and uh, enjoy being around. <laughs> Just to brag on Justice a little bit, he's not only an amazing actor, but he's just one of those people we can always call on at Flag Shakes when we need something, when we need help. He just, he's ready and he's willing to work and he, he wants to get the job done and he does it with a smile and, and then he'll usually also buy you a beer at the end of the night and you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> you're like, you just did something for me and you're buying me a beer. Like, what's happening here? <laughs> Hannah, you're you're melting my uh, typecast as a villain heart. Your right frozen now. heart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm still I'm still shaking the Iago out of my system. Yeah. I gotta gotta remember that people like me and say nice things about people me. People like you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this month's episode of Untamed Shrews. I'm Don. And I'm Hannah. And I'm Becky. Join us next time for another Shrews only episode. Have a topic you want us to discuss? Let us know. Follow Untamed Shrews on our Instagram at Untamed Shrews Podcast and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Flagstaff Shakespeare Festival. All episodes of Untamed Shrews can be found on sunsounds.org, the Flagstaff Shakespeare Festival YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and now Amazon. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, or put us on your Instagram stories. Help support the Shrew Crew. If you would like to make a donation to keep the shrews shrewing, please visit flagshakes.org slash donate or DM us about becoming a podcast sponsor.
this episode of Untamed Shrews starring Don Tucker, Becky Zaritsky, Hannah Fons, and Justice Burkett. Show art by Calliope Ludecker. Podcast theme song by Caden Slam. Podcast produced and edited by Hannah Fons. Presented by Flagstaff Shakespeare Festival. And recorded with Sun Sounds of Arizona. Special thanks to our audio engineer, Gina Byers. And thank you so much, Justice! Woo! Ow, ow! Yeah, thank you all. It's been super fun. <laughs> Bye! Bye! Bye. Bye.